This is Wilderness and Wildlife, presented by the Gallatin Wildlife Association in Bozeman, Montana. This is a half-hour program featuring commentaries and interviews with wildlife and wilderness advocates relating to the unique natural environment that we enjoy in the wildlands of the West and all across America. I'm your host, Jay Shell. Today we are talking with George Nikos, Executive Director of Wilderness Watch. George has been a public lands and wildlife activist for more than four decades, serving the past 26 years as Executive Director of Wilderness Watch, a national organization dedicated to the protection and proper stewardship of the lands and waters in the National Wilderness Preservation System. So welcome, George. It's great to be talking with you today. Uh, so get us started and talk about Wilderness Watch. What's unique about it? Sure. So as your listeners are probably aware, back in 1964, Congress passed the Wilderness Act. And as part of that act, the purpose of that act was to set aside parts of our national forests, our national wildlife refuges, our national parks, and our BLM-administered lands to set aside some of those lands as wilderness. Wilderness being the most protective land designation we have, and these areas were set aside to remain wild forever. So since then, Congress has continued setting aside areas as wilderness, and we now have about 111 million acres in 44 states that are wilderness. And lots of people, lots of organizations work to try to get new areas designated as wilderness, but, oh, about 30-some uh, years ago, a, a number of folks who were interested and concerned about what was happening to these areas once they were set aside. And it was great that Congress said they would remain wild and great that they told the agencies to manage them that way. But were they actually doing it? And, you know, it turns out that, you know, a lot of these areas, even though they were set aside to be protected forever, they weren't necessarily being preserved. And so a citizen organization started that would look after and serve as watchdogs of the wilderness system to make sure that these places that were supposed to remain wild forever and be preserved for present and future generations, that they would in fact remain protected and preserved. And so that's where Wilderness Watch got it started as that citizen advocacy organization for the National Wilderness Preservation System. So we've been doing this for about 35 years, and, um, you know, it's a, it's a great calling. It's a great challenge, but it's worth it because, um, you know, wilderness lands are, are the finest, uh, most protected lands we have, and uh, the wildest lands we still have. So that's what we do. And the wilderness areas are, are all in either in the national park system or uh, national forests or BLM. Is that right? Right, or na or in the national wildlife refuges. That's ah, right. okay. Um, public lands. So yes, they're all they're, they were all public lands um, when they were designated wilderness, and of course they still are. So you have multiple agencies that you have to deal with. Yes, we do. <laughs> all right. That must be a nightmare, but uh, are they all cooperative? Well, you know, it, it's uh, like any time you're dealing with big bureaucracies, you get a, a real variety of uh, folks that are helpful and concerned and uh, responsive, and you get some who aren't. And mm -hmm. uh, I think that's that's sort of the nature of the beast. I think it's uh, 
you know, I think it's fair to say that over time, the commitment to wilderness and good wilderness stewardship and protection has diminished pretty much across the board in all in all four land management agencies. So uh, was the Wilderness Act controversial when it was enacted by Congress back in 1964? It was. It was very controversial. And in fact, the agencies who were charged with administering these areas after they were designated, they all opposed the Wilderness Bill. Mm. They didn't really want to have wilderness under their purview. Mm. Uh, it's not what they did. And, um, and eventually they came around, but that was largely because President Kennedy, the Wilderness Bill was being was being sort of finalized during his time. You know, it took eight years to get the Wilderness Bill through Congress. But President Kennedy's Secretary of Interior and his Secretary of Agriculture were both big advocates of wilderness, and they sort of put the thumb on the agencies and said, now we're going to have to support the Wilderness Bill. And they helped push it through Congress. It was, you know, it was very popular amongst the public, and it actually passed Congress with very few dissenting votes. Mm. Um, it was, so it was, it was bipartisan. As, as bipartisan as you could get. Uh-huh. And most wilderness bills were, until probably more recent times, were, yeah. were pretty much bipartisan affairs. Mm. So the idea of wilderness has always been popular, but there have always been, you know, very strong uh, special interests powerful, uh, politically connected special interests who oppose wilderness, and that made it always difficult to get a bill passed. But amongst the general public, it's always been a wildly popular idea. Mm-hmm. So uh, what is the National Wilderness Preservation System? Is it a, is it well, a, formal, it, it, is it a formal entity, or is it, is it just uh, what you call the, uh, the number of wilderness areas collectively? Well, yes, the National Wilderness Preservation System is made up of all the individual wildernesses that are part of it. And today there's something like 800 individual wildernesses, and they're found in 44 of the 50 states. Wow. Now, half of the system is in Alaska, but there is significant wilderness in many other states. And like I say, all all but six states have wilderness. And those six states probably don't have any public lands, federal public lands within them. So they aren't likely to to ever have wilderness areas. Right. And there's actually one wilderness in Puerto Rico. I don't want to forget that. Uh, but there are mostly in the West and Alaska and so on. Yes. Yeah, the majority of the, land, the lands are, are in Are the national marine sanctuaries considered part of the, the National Wilderness Preservation System? They are not. They are not. Uh, they're separate. Okay. Uh, so... What are the threats today to the wilderness designations? Well, I, I would say the, the threats to wilderness itself are not entirely different than they were 60 or 70 years ago when the wilderness bill was being debated and fought over. And, and that is, you know, one of the one of the really amazing things about the Wilderness Act is that. It represented a statement on behalf of the American people that we were going to leave some places alone, that we were going to let nature be, that we were going to um, allow natural processes uh, like, you know, weather and, and the like 
to determine predator-prey relationships, all those sort of things to determine what conditions were like in these areas. <clears throat> the way they, they were before, you know, humans started walking the earth, if you will, those were the, those were the, the uh, forces that were at work here. And some places we were going to leave undeveloped and we just weren't going to try to work our will on them. We were going to let them be. And it's, you know, I, I like to call the Wilderness Act Nature's Bill of Rights. And and that was the first time that a society, certainly any Western society, had made a statement like that, that we were going to let some places be. That idea, that, that whole idea kind of runs counter to the way humans seem to function, where we are constantly trying to exploit resources for our benefit, uh, often at great expense to the environment and to other species, Sometimes maybe not at such great expense, but still, we're always trying to manipulate our environment to our benefit. And the idea that we would just leave some places alone was hard for a lot of people to accept. And I think it's especially hard for people who are in natural resource management fields. You know, I went to forestry school too, and, and you know, we're, we're trained from that time on that we should go out there that we know best and we need to go out there and manage nature. And that idea that we would take sort of a hands-off approach where we would be as the, as the founder of the wilderness act wrote, we would be guardians, not gardeners, um, really runs counter to the way, uh, sort of our, our, our human institutions function. And, so that made it very hard for a lot of people to accept the wilderness idea and the wilderness ideal. And and just because we passed the Wilderness Act doesn't mean those attitudes changed. They haven't uh, for many people. And and so that that so a lot of what we face in trying to preserve wilderness today <clears throat> is to convince especially the federal agencies, but certainly state agencies, state wildlife management agencies in particular, to let nature be, to let things go, to sit back and watch and learn from them. Use, use, you know, one of the great values of wilderness is to science as to how nature functions. Let's sit back and watch it and study it, but let's not try to intervene and manage it and redirect evolution, etc., and that continues to be, I think, the, the, the biggest challenge we have to preserving an enduring resource of wilderness forever, um, because it, it just runs counter to where we are today. But flip that around, and it's also the greatest opportunity for wilderness to teach us um, the value of having a different, more respectful uh, uh, less exploitive attitude about nature, about the world around us, about the whole environment. You know, our exploitation model has got us in all kinds of trouble, and you don't have to look very far today or wait very long for the next superstorm to hit, the next drought to hit, the next, you know, this sort of climate chaos we're entering into is a perfect example of what happens with this unhinged sort of idea of human exploitation, the biodiversity crisis we're in, 
the loss of species, you know, and with a lot of biologists call the sixth great extinction right now. All of these things are the result of a human attitude that the earth is just here as our big storehouse of resources to exploit. And wilderness says there's another way. It doesn't mean everything has to be wilderness, of course, but it can teach us a lot about a less impactful way of interacting with our environment. And so wilderness has incredible promise, and a lot of that promise is just kind of the flip side of what threatens wilderness the most in those attitudes. Another another big threat to wilderness is, is that loss of the ability within the agencies to actually administer these areas without um, uh, wanting to invade them with modern technologies, modern machines, and all those sort of things. Because one of the things the Wilderness Act did is it is it you know it it mandates that these federal agencies preserve the wilderness character of all of these areas. And at the same time, it's in, in, in part of how it says that will happen. It's very prescriptive. It says, you know, there shall be no motor vehicles, no motorized equipment, no mechanized transport, no structures, no installations in these places. And it has some 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 exceptions, you know, for very rare situations. And the, and, and and part of that is to say, look, let's. Let's take a different approach to these places. If you need to do work in them, we'll do work kind of the old-fashioned way. We'll do it by hand. We'll use cross-cut saws instead of chainsaws. Mm -hmm. We'll use pack strings instead of helicopters. We'll backpack in. You know, we won't take motor vehicles in. And we'll, we'll, we'll experience and administer these areas in contrast to the way we're doing the rest of our lands. And agencies are having an increasingly hard time with that. And part of it is just that we're, you know, as technology advances forward, the people in these agencies don't have the skills they used to have to administer these areas in the way the Wilderness Act says they'll be managed. And so they're increasingly we're seeing proposals to use helicopters uh, to haul stuff in wilderness. We're seeing proposals to use bulldozers to do work that could be done with a pick and shovel or whatever. We're seeing all kinds of, you know, uh, uh, reasons. We're seeing uh, uh, agencies try to open airstrips in wilderness so people can fly in there. Um, so there's those kinds of uh, threats as well. Uh, <clears throat> but I think it all kind of goes back to this idea of restraint where we aren't willing to practice the kind of restraint that the Wilderness Act calls for. So is there a the recreation? Oh, go, go ahead. Situations that require negotiation and compromise? Well, you know, I suppose we go through our lives uh, involved in negotiations and compromise, and yes, it does happen in wilderness too. But one thing we, we don't compromise is is the fundamental tenets of the law. Uh, within within what's legal, uh, there is often room to to discuss alternative uh, solutions, alternative ways to do things. But we don't compromise the law because the law itself was the compromise. Uh-huh. 
You know, the Wilderness Act said these are the places we're going to set aside for these specific things, and if it's not wilderness, it's managed in a different way. We don't want to start divide. You know, that sort of divided the baby. Now we don't want to keep dividing the baby even further. You know, the compromise was in the law itself, and it has some exceptions in there. You know, the for example, um, you know, the uh, livestock grazing is allowed to continue in areas where it, where it was existing at the time they were designated as wilderness. Uh-huh. Well, livestock grazing has all kinds of impacts on 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 the uh, uh, values of wilderness, but the livestock industry is a powerful lobby, and they got their exception into the Wilderness Act. So the challenge now is how do we administer livestock grazing in a way that, that least impairs the wilderness? So there's there's room in there for uh, trying to figure out some better solutions than all or nothing. Um, there were some exceptions built in there for mining, um, and even though the Wilderness Act did change the mining laws, it's one of the few statutes that has ever changed the 1872 mining law, which uh-huh. governs mining on most public lands. Still, if you had valid claims, existing claims that are recognized as private existing rights, there is the potential that we could see mining in wilderness. And we've fought a few mining proposals over the years. But again, those are you know those are some of the places where uh, you might say uh, decision you know there's room for compromise. Recreation. What are the group size limits going to be in wilderness? How many? How much impact from recreation use are we going to allow? There's all those kinds of decisions. You know, have room for a variety of answers, uh, et cetera. But if it comes right down to things like helicopters versus versus hiking or helicopters versus horses, no, that's that's not one uh, where there's room in the law for for exceptions or recreation issues using snowmobiles or mountain bikes or or permanent fixed anchors for climbing. The, the act says there shall be no in those instances, and that's what the that's what the law is, and that's what it should be. And so, in those cases, there isn't a lot of room to negotiate. Uh, when those discussions uh, take place, does Wilderness, Wilderness Watch have a place at the table? Uh, usually, we we. We do, even if it means that we sort of have to force ourselves into the room, uh, we, we try to have a place at the table. And, you know, we're a membership organization. We're a citizen organization. We're just made up of, of people like all of the, the listeners out there. Citizens who care about wilderness have joined together in this organization. And so when, when we learn of a project, whether it's we're being notified by the agency or we're being notified by a citizen who says, hey, look what's going on here. When we learn about that, we get involved in those public involvement processes that the agencies have set up, and we notify our members and supporters of, of those issues and say, if you want to have your input as a, as, a, as a public landowner, if you will, these are your wildernesses, um, here's how you can get involved. And... Uh, and and so we provide that kind of information so that so that citizens and we we do news releases all those kinds of things to inform the public about what's going on so that citizens can have a say and of course we we write comments and we get engaged in those issues and if we 
think that wilderness is going to be damaged will sometimes file uh, administrative appeals or objections or, uh, if necessary, go to court to try to uh, make sure that the wilderness gets protected. Uh, so uh, is scientific research allowed in wilderness areas? Yes, it is. Absolutely. And if, in fact, you know, even the even the uh, the person Howard Zonizer was the was the uh, person who who actually wrote the first wilderness bill and was the chief lobbyist getting the Wilderness Act passed. Um, and he worked he worked at that for for almost a, for a decade anyway. And um, and Zonizer, you know, he used to say that that's scientific research is probably the highest value of wilderness. And so it is. It's a great opportunity to learn. The challenge is that research also needs to be done in a way that respects all the values of wilderness and doesn't compromise it and adheres to the prohibitions. And wildlife research and, and other it, you know, in many cases, it's 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 great. It, it all works out great. But in many instances, researchers want to have exceptions. They don't want to have to hike in to do their research. They want to take in helicopters. Um, they don't want to, you know, they don't want to have to. One of our uh, one of our longtime board members and advisors, who's passed away now, a guy named Stuart Brandborg. Brandy was very active in getting the wilderness bill passed. But Brandy was a was a wildlife biologist and a researcher who used to spend days and days and days and weeks down in the Salmon River country watching mountain goats and studying mountain goats and watching their every move and writing about what mountain goats do and the lives of mountain goats. Well, you know, now a lot of mountain goat researchers want to swoop in in a helicopter dart the mountain goats or get them with a net, run in there, stick a radio collar on them and go back to the office and watch the data, watch the data come in and try to d describe what goes on in a mountain goat's life that way. They don't want to spend that time out there, but that's, but that's the difference, I guess, between wilderness research and non-wilderness research. And so in wilderness, it just asks that we do things a little differently and with a little less impact on the landscape and a little less impact of those values. But lots of research occurs in wilderness and I and I would agree with Zonizer. I think it's one of the greatest values of wilderness is it gives us a chance to sit back and watch how nature responds to all of the changes that are occurring uh, so that we can understand better what's going on with, with our management practices outside of wilderness. So uh, tell me about the, rock, the uh, Protecting America's Rock Climbing Act. Uh, does that impact the Wilderness Act? Absolutely. And, and it's, it's another one of those things when we talk about sort of broader threats to wilderness. Um, some of those are coming from recreation interest groups, which don't think that their particular recreation activity uh, should be held to the same standards as everybody else's. And... Uh -huh. The, the Protecting America's Rock Climbing Act is kind of a misnomer because rock climbing is allowed in wilderness and it, it's it's going to be allowed, I think, for as long as any of us are alive and it's beyond. But, it's but there's a lot of... Pardon? 
It's pre it's a proposed act. Is that right? Yes, it's, a, it's 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 and and what it what what they're actually trying to do isn't protect rock climbing per se, but they're trying to uh, uh, make it so that so that rock climbers can use fixed anchors, which generally, uh, for the most part, are are bolts uh, that they install into the into rock faces. To make climbing easier and safer, et cetera, et cetera. But the act, the Wilderness Act, prohibits leaving behind stuff like that. It prohibits installations. It prohibits structures. And they want to have an exception in the act for rock climbers who want to use these permanent uh, fixed anchors. Now, most rock climbers use use removable protection. Uh, and and it's, it serves pretty much the same purpose, but some climbers want to have fixed anchors. Um, uh, they feel safer with it, or it allows them to climb places that they couldn't climb without it. And um, so in order to get that uh, allowance, to have that allowance, they're asking Congress to change the Wilderness Act to make an exception for climbers. And, of course, we're opposing that, as are dozens of other uh, citizen organizations that have, that have written to Congress and asked them to not do that. Uh, and a lot of climbers included do not want to see fixed anchors allowed in wilderness either. It's, it's, been a, it's, it's become quite a controversial piece of legislation, and it would be an amendment to the Wilderness Act. And it's, it's bad enough on its own, in part just because, you know, it, it does result in all of these fixed anchors in places, but also because it kind of strikes at the heart of what the Wilderness Act talks about with, with regard to restraint, that we're willing to just accept nature on its own terms and visit it, but not try to change it. And, you know, when we, when we start operating under a different principle than that, then eventually we'll lose wilderness. And there are other there are other recreation interests that have wanted exceptions for their use. Uh, some of the some in the mountain bike industry, mountain bike interest groups have been pushing to amend the Wilderness Act to allow for uh, bicycles in wilderness. All motorized access, mechanized access, has always been prohibited. Um, there are others that have uh, that have pushed legislation that would allow. Uh, there was one bill called the Sportsman's Heritage Act, which would allow anything that was that was used for hunting, angling, or recreational shooting to be allowed in wilderness. So ostensibly, you could drive off-road vehicles in wilderness if you were hunting, snowmobiles if you were hunting. Um, there are all kinds of you know interest groups out there like this, special interest groups who would love to have exceptions to the Wilderness Act for their particular interests. Now, all of them rely on everybody else living by the by the rules that are in the Wilderness Act because oh, yeah. they want it to be wilderness when they get there. Right. But they don't want to have to they don't want to have to to own up to those same rules. So, uh so anyway, the 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 uh, the so-called Park Act uh is out there and um it's moving through Congress right now and there are a lot of us who are Trying to encourage Congress to uh, step back and say this isn't uh, about protecting rock climbing. Rock climbing is allowed. Uh, 
this is about compromising the Wilderness Act for a very, uh, you know, uh, vocal but uh, minority user group, and we're not going to do it. And that's what we're trying to convince them to do. Well, George, I'm afraid we have run out of time, but we're going to continue this uh, next week with another interview. So uh, I appreciate your talking to us today, and uh, we'll look forward to doing it next week. Uh, our guest today has well, been George Guess, uh, the Executive Director of Wilderness Watch in Missoula, Montana. This has been Wilderness and Wildlife, a presentation of the Gallatin Wildlife Association in Bozeman, Montana. To hear more of these half-hour interviews, go online to js-wilderness.com and see additional features of our website. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Jay Shell.